Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast, part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. I'm Tara Bowen Biggs. This is Dan Morang. And at long last, we've got basketball to discuss. Dan, how excited are you? Hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay that's all, that's all i got it's, it, it, okay well i was trying to figure out how and how on earth we were going to get started today because <laughs> there's just a lot to process considering we you know before that we were like searching for twitter and instagram to find anything to talk Please about give and me now, a story <laughs> now we actually have stuff so here's what i thought oh it's our little icebreaker for the uh for the uh, for the day so let's start on the count of three let's each say one word that describes how we're feeling about the team right now Okay, so I'll count to three, and then we're each going to say the word. You got okay. that? Sure. Okay, you need you need a sec, or you got a word? I, I've got something. Okay, all right. One, two, three. Hopeful. NSFW. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's as far as I'm going with it right now. I'm just stoked. Like the fact that we have games like every day. I'm sitting here as we're recording this, watching the Rockets and Knicks play preseason basketball. The Knicks. <laughs> I mean, this is like I'm I'm, a, I'm just happy as could be right now. Like the, basketball is back, and I'm thrilled about it. And it's just I I, I it's probably about the only time where I can sit here and watch James Harden complain about not getting free throws when he drove to the rim and nobody touched him, and not be angry at the world. We got to just... capture this as like in a bottle, this excitement. <laughs> I mean, this preseason honestly has been fun because the Blazers have done some things that I didn't expect them to do. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. So, yeah, this this like this is inherently like the happiest I'll be all season, probably um, unless they somehow magically win like 55 games. But I'm just sitting here going, OK, yeah, there's still a lot of holes, but hey, we're having fun. So there's that like the 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 black hole of of awfulness hasn't sunk in yet so i'm pretty stoked well that's why my word was hopeful because nothing is never going to be more hopeful than we are right now but i think it's hopeful too because we i personally have seen some things in these preseason games that i think that they mm -hmm. the team can really build on so uh let's let's recap them real fast and then maybe we'll get into some specifics talk about what a little bit about what we talked about last week uh we're recording this before game four so we are halfway through the uh, preseason they lost to phoenix and the the two starting in the three and four were ed davis and et and then they won in toronto and in that lineup they featured aminu and harkless and then the Clippers, they beat the Clippers. And of course, that's the game they start Swan again. Swan again and Aminu started. Yeah, so what do you have to say about what we've seen so far? Um, I'm, I'm going to start where, where I want to start here because um, this is all about me, 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 I, 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 and I was I'm, right. Swan I just want to keep you Swan happy, again, Swan again is a monster, and I was driving this hype train from day one. Um, and I'm thrilled to see him ball out. By day one... I do you mean by the day by draft day or do you mean after you first saw him play in summer league because I was in the room on draft day and I would not exactly say you were super excited on draft day. I was more angry about the Collins pick than I was happy about the Swanigan pick. I'll I'll be dead honest about that. That 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 Collins pick irritated me to to, to no 
length of doubt. It's just, I, I still think it's a huge reach, but like I said, I've, I've calmed on that. I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to give Collins the, the benefit of the doubt. He's 19 years old. He's, he's shown some things and he hasn't been a complete and unmitigated disaster. Um, the time he's been on the floor post summer league. So good. Great grand. This ain't about him. This is about Swanigan. Okay. Now you can go talk about Swanigan. This is about Caleb. I, I've loved everything that he's done so far and he's only played like seven games 10 games whatever the heck it is compared with summer league and and preseason and to to me there's no one on this team has shown that they are more deserving of the minutes at the four than caleb swanigan he gives more flexibility and more options for for terry stotts than any singular player on this roster not named dame cj or nurkic he needs to be out there. He needs to be playing. The guy can rebound. He, I mean, he's 260 pounds. He got the ball in the corner, off the catch, pump fake, drives, gives the fake pass, then dumps the pass off to a cutting Collins in traffic for a dunk. I mean, the, the possession later, he's catching at the high post and and showing off his his, his post game. You know, <laughs> everything the guy has done has, has been phenomenal so far. Have you? How have you seen him progress through these three games? Have you seen improvement? He looks like he's, yeah, well, I mean, he came out from in night one looking like a three-year vet. Like this is not a rookie. He he doesn't he doesn't have any deer in the headlights. He doesn't look lost. He doesn't ever get caught. Is he going to make mistakes? Sure, but this is a guy who is ready for the NBA. There's a few guys in this draft class already. God, I hate to even admit this, but the Lakers have one in Kyle Kuzma. Yeah, apparently. Wow. I mean. <laughs> there are a few guys in this class that it's not just their talent. It's, it's their, their maturity and, and not just their, their social maturity. It's their understanding of the game of, of what, of who they are and and when, where they are in their development. And they know what they can do and they're confident. And it's, it's not, it's not like fake confidence either. These guys go out there and they know they belong on night one. So with Swanigan, because I know a lot of people are, you know, we have a lot of loyal listeners who've been listening all summer, but there's also people who are starting to tune in because the season is starting up and they're trying to get caught up on what, what they missed. How would you describe basically what Swanigan brings to the team? The, the thing is, is, there's a lot of people that want to compare him to Zach Randolph. And there's a lot of people that want to say he's kind of like a Draymond Green. Um, sure, you can say that. And he, he, he has certain things of those players. He's not Draymond defensively and he's not Zach offensively. But he, if you want to say that the certain things about his game remind you of them, sure. He's got a better post game and a more refined post game than most bigs at all in the NBA right now, let alone guys that are coming out of college. Like he has multiple moves, counter moves and counter counter moves in the post. That's 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 a real thing. Um, he's an elite level rebounder. He has a nose for the ball that's nearly unmatched in the NBA. Can I tell you one thing I like about him? What's that? He shoots the ball without even thinking about it. Oh, like, there's that that comes with that maturity though. Like he it's knows amazing. when it, he knows when he gets the ball in a spot that when he's supposed to take a shot. And we saw that on opening night in, in the preseason. He caught that ball at the three point line and let it fly from the wing. And the whole crowd went nuts, like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got a 6'10", 260-pound guy that can bang threes and doesn't hesitate? Like no my hesitation. It's my, amazing. My, my Twitter feed was like, well, see you later, Alan Crabb. 
that, that was that summed up my Twitter feed. And while that's a, a bit of a rush to say that Swanigan's gonna produce uh, or have production level from the three point line as as high as Crab was, um, the idea that he could replicate that because he's taking the shots he's supposed to take when he's supposed to take them, it's, it's an idea so foreign to Portland fans recently that they were just shocked into what they saw. So uh, Swanigan isn't going to be the end all be all fix everything. I think everybody's just really excited, including myself, because he's bringing so many things that Portland have needed for years. Now he brings toughness and grit. He brings skill at the, at the power four, but he, the power four position has been a black hole since LaMarcus left and pre LaMarcus. I mean, they had Zach, but it was a different understanding of, of, of what that was. Um, Zach and his time in Portland was productive, but the people always wanted more. Uh, I think they wanted what Zach Randolph turned into in Memphis. So right. it, it's kind of been like this this weird transitory period from Zach to LaMarcus and then now to probably Swanigan. Um, people have been playing the power board position since LaMarcus left um, as sort of some sort of lottery, you know. Well, he couldn't win the spot. You have it. Well, he couldn't hold the spot. Now you have it. Uh, you play center. Screw it. Play power forward. We'll see if you can stick. I mean, they, they're just they've they've thrown nearly everybody they could at that spot, and now it, it looks like they may have somebody who not only deserves it but can that can own it and hold right. it down. And that yeah. that to me is the is the biggest part is that maybe they finally have a somebody that they lock into a position again and go, okay, we know who's going to be here, and this guy's. Uh, an answer long-term. Yeah. It would be really great if we finally have a starting five, you know, we, we might be up to a starting four, the five that we could just rattle off and know exactly like half, half the time last year, I couldn't even remember who was the three because I mean, it was heartless, but then sometimes it wasn't. And I, I don't know, it was hard to even keep track because it was, it was the, that the positions weren't held with authority. And I, like you said, no. he owns this position. We're going to talk a lot about Swan again this year. I'm sure. So let's pivot and talk a little bit about our other rookie and your first impressions with uh, Zach Collins. I know you said you weren't knocked off um, your seat watching him, he looks but like what did you see? He now, instead of looking like a, a high school player in the NBA, because I mean, hyperbole or not, he was God awful in summer league, he was, he was completely and totally unplayable. So to see that growth from that to what he is now, now he just looks like your rookie. And you've seen, you've seen some things from him. And I've seen some people on Twitter and in the comment threads, he's moving his feet incredibly well defensively. No, he's moving well. Like he's, it's nothing earth shattering. He's done some nice things. Um, there was a, a play where both him and Swanigan trapped on a, on a, uh, pick and roll and forced a turnover. Um, I loved did, that play. That yeah, was in the first game. It was the first game when, like, when they first got on the floor together. Mm-hmm. Like, you could see that they they were both hungry. And then here's here's the thing that I do like about Collins that I can say without any kind of backhanded compliment. I love his energy and I love his hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's only going to get him so far. He's going to have to show that he can stay on the floor without fouling like crazy, and we'll talk about that. Um, and be more than just a big guy. Okay, I see with Zach Collins, I've, I've seen him in different places that I'm not used to seeing people over the last few years. I see him open in empty space, and I don't recall seeing that from our forwards as often as I have in these last few games. And like, yeah, it's only been a few times. But in in my mind, 
he seems to know where to uh, where to be in a way that uh, I haven't seen in the last couple of years. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that a lot of folks are very excited about what they've seen from Zach Collins, because A, it's something that they haven't seen for a while. He's and, active. That's, and that's, it's, that's a thing. More than we were expecting out of him, um, considering we've been warned over and over again that, you know, this is a building process. And with both of these guys, we have to temper our expectations. I'm never going to be able to get you to temper your expectations on Collins right now. I think that train has left the station. (laughs) (laughs) But we do need to remember over and over again, we've been told about Collins that he will be, you know, brought along. So uh, I don't think we're going to see him as much as we've seen him recently. But I think he quits himself really really well for a very young and not very big guy either who, you know, he could be thrown all over the, I mean, he's, he has a hard time holding his position, but he's not totally weak. He's not being thrown all over the place. You know, every time I feel like he gets in, he gets a little bit stronger and a little bit more used to how to make people not move him, at least move him so much. And again, (laughs) getting to those spaces where there isn't anybody and he doesn't have to worry about someone running into him because now he's open, he's got the ball, and he's turning around and shooting. Again, another guy who shoots without hesitation. I I think the thing with Collins, for me at least, is that the bar was set so low after Summer League, and this may be true for why people have have been excited about what he has or hasn't done on the floor, is that the bar was so unbelievably low that anything above that just looks amazing. Whereas... With Swanigan, the bar is already high, and the hype was already high. And as much as I'm hyping him up, that I don't think Swanigan's going to be, you know, an all star. I just think he's going to be an incredibly good player for what Portland needs. With Collins, I think he's again he's still two years away from providing anything. And if he gives Portland ten to twelve minutes a night, that to me is a win from a, a development perspective. I I don't really see him getting on the floor all that much. I think you're right. I think him getting the minutes he's getting right now is the most minutes he'll get all season barring injury. Well, let's move on to some more specific questions. Unless, do you have anything else you want to say just about general observations about how we pretty much just talked about the rookies observations about any of the other play players in general before we ask, get more specific. Dame and CJ are, are, are in mid-season four. Man, those guys are good. Uh, I mean, they, they're legitimately, Dame is in, he looks like just like he did to start last season. Remember, the beginning of last season, Damian Lillard was on an absolute MVP level tear. I mean, the numbers he was putting up for, the, I think it was the first like three weeks, maybe month of the season. He was, I think it was like 30.7 yeah, 30. boards, six assists, something like that. Uh, I mean, it was absolutely batty what mm-hmm. he was doing to start the season. Uh, then, of course, you know, he wore down the season, took a, a hell of a turn. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, he's he's going absolutely nuts right now. CJ looks phenomenal. He, he looks effortless. He's had a couple subpar shooting nights, but he's getting to his spots probably quicker, faster, and easier than I think I've seen him in his entire time in Portland. So those two guys are getting it done. Um and then the other one, obviously, is Nurkic. When you talk about Portland, those are the three guys you're going to talk about. And we'll talk about Nurkic more particularly in, in, in a few actual spots. But that jumper. Yeah. God, <laughs> for a seven-foot, 270-pound dude, that jumper is silky, silky smooth. So, I mean, th- that those those little things from those guys, the the, the two big-time guys being ready, Nurkic being, having a no-doubt jumper. This isn't Blake Griffin toying with a jumper and, and, and tweaking his mechanics. Like, Nurkic came out 
and at the from game one has taken it with as much confidence as you can take a jumper. Yeah. So that that to me is, is huge for Portland um, as far as what they can do and how can they can attack going forward. I have a theory based on absolutely nothing that Nurkic is feeling like I am like he's sick of hearing about how good Joker is in Denver and Nurkic is like okay, they want to talk about a really good center who can do all kinds of things. Look at me. Look no farther than me because he's tired oh, you of hearing can talk about, about his matchup. Yeah, look at his matchup against Jokic last year when after the trade to Portland. Yeah. There's there's absolutely no doubt that he's constantly looking to show he that he's better. He's tired of hearing that. Yeah, and no. Man, that, I, that's no, by no means a stretch. It's all – the national media is just absolutely in love with Denver right now. And I have a lot of wonderful friends who are Denver fans, and they're awesome, and I totally appreciate them because I think they're a lot like Portland fans. But, man, the whole national media talk about Denver is like, come on, everybody. Just, just relax. <laughs> Let's hold on here. Well, I wanted to make actually one more observation about what I've seen in this preseason, and that's attitude. And I think – after the game on Sunday, Damien talked about the attitude that he's approaching these uh, preseason games with. And I thought it bodes well for the attitude that we've talked about that they need to come out with when the actual season starts. Because we all know that that's their key is coming out to a strong start, not getting off and uh, you know d losing a bunch of close games at the beginning. It's really key that they come out right at the beginning when their schedule is a little bit softer and really take control. And he talked about... Um, on Sunday, he said the urgency is different. We can't come in and say, oh, it's just the preseason. That can't be our mentality. We've got to come out and treat it like it's a real game, how focused we are to whatever scouting report they give us and how much we care about it. And I, I love that attitude coming from Damien, you know, coming from the top saying, guys, we are not acting like this is a preseason game. We got to every single game has to be a real game. And I appreciate that. It shows me that I think they're coming in with the attitude that we are hoping that they're going to come in with. And we have some slightly breaking news kind of on that front. Jason Quicks just, just put out on Twitter that Stott says the plan to play Lillard, McCollum, and Nurkic big minutes, which kind of goes along with what you're saying, uh, is now uncertain. This is heading into the game against Sacramento because Sacramento is planning on sitting most of its main guys. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that still plays out. Does Stott still get his guys big minutes here, even though it's not necessarily against the, the top tier competition to get them ready to kind of get them in the swing of things, or do they not let them, or does he just kind of sit them the night uh, against Sacramento and not let them get lazy? If well, that, yeah, that, even that, if not, he... not that they would just that the idea of going against lesser competition may kind of, It'll be good to see how they react to that because, yeah. I mean, that what what we want to do is see them react to that, not like they're lesser competition because any, anything can happen on any night. And that's what mm -hmm. happens. That's how you get caught up. And even if Dame and CJ don't play, you know, if their attitude of this is serious trickles down to everybody else who gets minutes and they're out there to prove something, you know, I'm all for it. Yeah, no, I mean, it'll be interesting to kind of see how that plays out tonight. Um, I, I'm kind of irritated because I, I, De'Aaron Fox was one guy I wanted to see yeah. um, for Sacramento because uh, Dame has struggled in the past against guys that are just lightning quick. And oh. Fox may be the quickest player in the NBA now. Yeah, so, he's he's so uh, fast. 
I'm, I'm kind of disappointed we, get, we we kind of get robbed of that one. But let's push on. Yeah, let's let's move on and uh, kind of keeping with the aggressiveness theme. We talked about it last episode too, yes. and we talked about how much the Blazers foul. Yeah, and uh, so what did you see with regards uh, to that? A um, metric crap ton of fouls. The Portland Trailblazers lead the preseason in fouls. <sighs> they but, are they were lowering the boom with frequency. Are they good fouls though? Um, there's a whole lot of reaching and there's a whole lot of teaching being done by opponents, but there's a lot of hard fouls too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Swanigan has, has lowered the boom a couple times. Um, he, it was, it was kind of nice. He, he let Serge Ibaka know about it when they played Toronto. Um, he, Sir, Caleb Swanigan got his first of what I'm assuming is going to be multiple technical fouls this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Caleb Swanigan is going to lead the Portland Trailblazers in technical fouls. There is my not so hot take this year. Okay, we'll write uh, that one down. He has an attitude that permeates the team. And this is something I've been calling for for years now. Portland needs a, a blank hole. They, they need that guy on the field. They need that guy on the court. Like They, they need one of those guys out there to stir the pot. Um, and that comes with that attitude. And, and Nurk had just talked about it, being, being one of the bad boys. Now, it's kind of hard to take him seriously with that mask on because, you know, because it looks like Billy and Beer. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, th- there have been some message and tone-setting fouls even in the preseason. But there have been an abundance of stupid reaching fouls, too. So so I looked at the the box scores such as they were because in preseason it's really hard to track them down. And sometimes you have to kind of go backwards to get to them. Yeah. But I was looking at the fouls uh how many fouls they got to how many minutes they played so for the in game one Nurkic got two fouls in 16 minutes in game two he got five fouls in 17 minutes and then of course he fouled out in 24 minutes and this is Nurkic his what third year in the league Mm -hmm. that seems like a lot of fouls for someone who's been around for a while now let me tell you uh Collins because he's kind of like the second uh worst offender if you might say that I think, or first, depending on how you look at it. Um, he had his first game, five fouls in 22 minutes, and then he had four fouls in 22 minutes, and then finally he had three fouls in 20 minutes. So his fouling actually went down a little bit each game. So what, are we, what, are we, what should we take from that? They foul a lot because they're covering up for atrocious perimeter defense. That's not going to change. Okay. Break Col- that down a little bit. Col- they well, foul a lot. So Collins the, is fouling underneath Collins the basket. Fouling, Collins is fouling underneath the basket. He, he's because dropped his arms a ton. Um, but he's also fouled out on the perimeter trying to play higher in pick and roll coverage because he moves better. Nurkic, he's also getting blocks out there. He's gotten a couple blocks. Yeah, he's got a couple blocks. and He'll, he'll continue to do that. Um, I, I don't think he's ever going to be you know, a top flight shot blocker, but he has a potential to be a rim protector. I, I can see how they can – they believe that that's a possibility because I can he see does. I'm ha- going to have to carry the torch for Zach Collins this year. Yeah, you're you're going to for me because I'm honestly I'm I'm just really not going to get too high or too low on him. I just my 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 expectations for him are so low that anything above that is is great. That's why I think honestly getting on the court for ten or twelve minutes is is a win for him. Um, but as as far as the fouls go between him and Nurkic, any any big for Portland, they're, you're going to get in foul trouble. The perimeter defense is crap. That that's that that hasn't changed. 
Um, they didn't add anybody. They haven't done anything to, to change that. So when guys are getting ahead of steam running downhill at you, that's going to be a problem. And here's the other thing. Portland's playing at a, at a, at a much faster pace right now in the preseason through three games than they did at any point in time last year. Okay. Their pace last year was at 96 possessions a game. Right now, they're almost at 107. Whoa, that's 11 possessions more? Yeah, and that doesn't sound like that much. but That sounds like a lot to me. Yeah, for those that aren't familiar, I mean, that's league average last year was 96 and a half, 97, I believe. Um, 107 would have been right there at the very top in the league. That's that's seven seconds or less Suns-type offense. So... What so do you we, attribute that to? And then how does that relate to the fouling? Well, here's the thing. Is if you're getting more possessions, that means more transition. You're, you're running up and down the floor more often. Number one, you're getting tired. Mm-hmm. Number two, when you're get, if you're not hitting shots, the other opponent's getting back and they're getting more possessions in transition. So that's putting more pressure on your defense. If you're not back okay. in set, now there's more opportunities for fouls to, to arise. Okay. So there's there's a couple things that are in play here. You may have also you may have cross matches when you get back in transition defensively. Uh, your point guard may be on a small forward. Your small forward may be on a point guard. Your center may be on a point guard. So when people are running rapidly back to cover to get set for defense in transition, they might not end up guarding the position that they're meant to guard at least initially until you at a, exactly at a faster it. pace and with more possessions. There's more opportunity for chaos. There's opportunity to, for everyone to foul exactly, and so you're. Ultimately, when when plays when you're getting these more plays in transitions, the the idea, for at least for the opponent, is they are just like Portland. They want to either get to the rim, you know, in transition, that's that's the easiest shot, or get to the rim and kick out for the open shot. So, um, where's that pressure constantly going to be at? In the lane around the paint. So that's where you see guys like Collins and Nurkic getting into foul trouble. Uh, okay. If you look up and down the line for really all the bigs, it's the bigs that are that are racking up the fouls. Should we worry about how many fouls the Trailblazers are committing, or shouldn't we? Or should we just wait? Screw it. <laughs> you're all for it. You're not. You're not. You're not going to play better defensively. Okay. I mean, it, it, I mean, you, it, unless by some miracle that. Dame and CJ turn into average or plus defenders. This is who they are. So you might as well play seven seconds or less type offense, generate more possessions, give your big guns, more opportunities to score. And if the the fouls rack up, rack the fouls up on the opponents. Damian Lillard is getting to the free throw line, like an absolute monster right now. He's getting nine free throw attempts a game. So, I mean, if these guys are putting that same pressure back on the opponent, then it's whatever. It's a fair trade. As long as you're big, as long as you can keep Nurkic, Dame, and CJ out of foul trouble, you should be okay. Okay, but I'm worried about Nurkic being in foul trouble. I'm not. Okay. I, 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 honestly, the, the way he moves and, and the, the the fouls that he's been picking up, I think some of them have been kind of goofy fouls, if that makes oh. sense. I, I think he's trying some things. I think he's trying to generate steals. Uh, I think he's reaching a little too much trying to have, you know, trying to make too much happen um, because he's, he's, I think he's generated like two steals a game so far. I think he's had two steals every game, if I'm not mistaken. 
So he's trying to get in passing lanes. He's trying to poke the ball free. He's trying to, again, generate extra possessions for Portland to get out and run. This is something that we've, that, that we've talked about in Portland really since Damian got here. Is This team really should probably push the pace a little bit more. And it looks like right now they are. So if there's some growing pains associated with getting out and running more, I, I'm okay with that. I'm totally and perfectly okay with them okay. going through issues like this. If that means that, because they I mean, I'm going to trust you on this one. They're, they're, they're not going to, the bottom line is they're not going to play better defense. They're Can not they going to play better defense if they don't foul some. Yeah. I mean, not even just that, just you, so you, you have to find another way to win. Okay. And getting more possessions by playing a little bit more aggressive, getting in passing lanes, trying to generate some steals and getting out and running a little bit more is going to give you a better opportunity to win by giving you more opportunities to score. Great. Now, okay. if by some sort of magic, they play better defense, whether it be by scheme or effort or whatever. Awesome. But I just don't expect that to be the case. The more natural assumption or you know, the more natural growth here is for them to just be better offensively. Okay. So. Well, I will put my tender heart in your hands and yeah. not worry about fouls right now. Never a good idea. <laughs> okay, let's move on and talk about another thing that we talked about last week, which was uh, what Stotts said about uh, going to Nurk early and uh, seeing what happens if they go to him early in the shot clock. What okay. did you see? So that kind of feeds into getting the ball up and down the floor. Let Nurk, who's dropped 35 pounds, get in the paint earlier get him into pick and rolls earlier before set defenses come. Um, he's been phenomenal in the pick and roll pick and pop game. Um, and while I love his footwork, the, the hashtag feet work, um, and yeah, I'm really trying to get that one going. I, I, I love it. Always have <laughs> always will. Um, he has, he looks great when he catches the ball in the post, like mm -hmm. he looks under control the timing and the speed of, of of the footwork is phenomenal. Then he elevates for the shot and he rushes it and it rattles out. And you're just sitting there going, what the hell just happened? Like everything, everything looks great up until the release. Yeah. And he just, he'll spin like the, he had that, that move in the first game where he spun baseline. Uh, it was on Marquise, Chris or Alex Lynn. I can't remember who it was. It was guarding. It was Chris, um, but he just abused him. Mm -hmm. with the inside fake and then the baseline spin. But when he spun real fast, he got to his position and what did he do? The shot was under control. He elevated and he laid it in. It was beautiful. Everything looked smooth as silk. And then he had a couple possessions where he basically went to the same move and then he rushed the living hell out of the shot. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what are you doing? You had all the time in the world. You beat him by a mile, man. Mm -hmm. Stop that. And the numbers reflect that. So you look at what, Nurkic has done in the post so far and granted the synergy numbers are synergy numbers in preseason, but they're crap. The Nurkic's numbers. Yeah. I mean, he's, his, his post numbers are awful. Okay. In six possessions, he scored one time. Okay. And that was that one move. Okay. And he hasn't been able to replicate that. No. So do you think that is an issue? Like, are you worried about that? Yeah. Or? This, is, this is something we talked about last week on the podcast is he needs to get under control. Okay. That's, that's the big thing here. Cause he has all of the tools. There's nothing about his post game that doesn't scream. It should be elite. Cause he's incredibly quick for his size and his size is in the upper 1% of the NBA. 
mm-hmm. the, the number of guys who have that size with that footwork and that speed is limited to like three people. Mm-hmm. It's him. It's Joel Embiid and God. Yeah. Who else is there? Beyond Demarcus. I mean, th- I mean that th- that's really who we're talking about here. Guys who have unparalleled size and strength with footwork and speed. I mean, there just aren't 270-pound dudes in the NBA right now who can do that. So your thought is if he just slows down. He needs to slow down a half or step. Or collect himself, collect, yeah. you know, mentally slow down maybe too. Like because he, he can beat nearly anybody in the post. Mm-hmm. Because he, he's strong enough to just move anybody he wants. Can you imagine how much hard it must be to control the momentum when you're seven feet, whatever, and 270 pounds? I yeah, mean, you I'm, can't... I'm six foot 260, and when my momentum gets going one way, I get a low center of gravity, and I, and I got a big butt. I mean, I, I have post butt to the, to the max, and it's tough for me to control that momentum. Yeah, so that must be adding really a, hard. Literally another foot to me and trying yeah. to control that. <laughs> while somebody else is 260, 70 pounds is pushing me while worrying about somebody dropping down from, from the backside. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can seriously understand how ridiculously hard that must be, but that's also why I'm not getting paid millions of dollars to play in the NBA. Do you think it's all, do you think it, uh, how long do you, do you think it goes until it becomes a concern where Stotts goes, Oh, that's not a plan for us to use. Or do you think that that it has, is, it has to be a threat. It okay. always has to be a threat. So it's on him. I mean, so even if he can't score, he can still be a threat, though, right? Because he can still move people around and yes, kick he, it out to somebody. Exactly. And in, in, in worst case scenario is he backs somebody real deep and goes to a face up mm-hmm. because his face up game is still incredibly good. So getting deeper post position and forcing a defense to, to cave in or allowing him to face up deeper, deeper into the paint. That's totally fine. Um, the, the evolution of his jumper already gives me hope. Mm-hmm. that those skills can continue to be honed and refined um, because everything about his, his post game screams, you know, elite. Yeah. So he just it needs it to all come together. Yeah, it needs to all come together because we've seen what it looks like when it all comes together. Marquise Chris saw what it looks like when it all comes together. Uh, you, you get absolutely roasted and you have zero opportunity to do anything about it. So, Let's move from the front court to the back court. And I want to talk about Evan Turner as the backup point guard or as the ball handler. We, we talked about that. What, what are your thoughts? Um, ironically, uh, backup ball handler Evan Turner is also hanging out in the post. He's mm-hmm. got just as many post-up opportunities as Yusuf Nurkic does so far in the post in the preseason. Um, and actually, his numbers are much, much better than Nurkic's. Um, and this is something we saw towards the tail end of last year when Evan Turner started to be a lot more productive um, was when they got him the ball at the elbow and in, in, in the pinch post and allowed him to facilitate and post up guards. Because there's just not many guards in the NBA that can handle a six foot seven Evan Turner who has a refined post game. Um, he, just think of him like, and this may be borderline sacrilege, think of him like Andre Miller or Chauncey Billups. More, actually, more like Andre, because Andre couldn't hit a damn shot outside the free throw line to save his life either. But he could sure as heck get shots for other people. Yes. And that's exactly. the that's but what I've been also, seeing out of Evan Turner. He worked in the post and in the high post. Andre Miller is is one of the, I think he's still top eight in assists all time in the NBA. Um, and a lot of it was on drive-in kicks, but a lot of it was 
pounding the air out of the ball at the free throw line extended and then posting somebody up. He he would he would mouse in the house everybody. He he took guys that were bigger than him down in the post and ruined them, both with his post game and his ability to pass from that area. Um, well, this is great because it gives me an excuse to go back and watch more Andre Miller highlights, which I do more I do more than you would think because <laughs> I loved Andre Miller, and what I liked his uh, creativity as I because alley oops are my favorite. I know it's like really cheap, but I love them, and so I've been waiting for years for somebody to come along who can uh, dish alley oops like Andre could, and I'm not saying nobody, that Evan Turner nobody. is that, but I'm saying uh, <laughs> he's potentially because he's the kind of guy who will take these. Ch- chances and make these weird passes that you're like where did that come from but that was really cool you know i i think that i i think i like him as the backup point guard which i have a hard time saying because i've always been saying that we need to get shabazz in as a true backup point guard but when push came to shove having a backup point guard who can see over more people it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot like a quarterback in the nfl yeah, it's your, yeah, your ability to see and survey. It's like it's like LeBron James as a point guard. Like the, the the initial genesis of LeBron James as a point guard was LeBron playing in the post and developing that. You know, like peak LeBron in Miami was two hundred and seventy five pounds of of absolute freight train, but posting teams up. He was he was his his point guardiness was at its zenith when he was point post, you know, I mean, that was, that was when he was just an unstoppable force because if you doubled him, he'd find the open guy every single time. If you didn't, he'd back him down and get to wherever he wanted and then either go to work there or still drop a dime and face up from there. Um, Evan Derner can, can be a, not necessarily a poor man's version of that because that that's a, that's kind of a slight to what he can do. Uh, he's a phenomenal post player. Um, and his ability to see over the top and, and to create from that position is some of the best in the league. So getting him the ball there is a good idea because the way he was used and utilized to start the season last year is what contributed to him just looking like absolute crap. Okay. And how was he being used at the beginning of the year that's different from now? He, he, he was, was being used as a prototypical point guard above the three-point line and putting him in, in pick and rolls with another non-shooter. I mean, if you put Evan Turner in a pick and roll with Ed Davis, that's not going to work, folks. <laughs> that's just that's I'm, there. There's so many things that I want to say that I can't say that are that are are four letter words that it's just Thank like why you for that, Dan. Thank it, you. It's just, why. Why would you? Why would that thought ever cross anyone's mind? So it, they were trying makes, to just have no him sense. come on and be like da- whatever Damien was doing and do the same thing. And it's, now you're it's saying what made sense because it was simple and was what f- people were familiar with. Hey, you know how to run a pick and roll here, run this pick and roll. Yeah. He ran pick and roll in Boston, but he ran pick and roll with bigs that either cut hard or were shooters. He had a Zeller on one side and a Linux on the other. Either one of them could step out and hit a shot or either one of them could roll to the rim and and really, as, as much as people want to complain about Olenek and Zeller as, as, as players, or even a Jared Solinger, um, they could all shoot and they all cut hard. And really, they looked for alley oops. Like Portland runs backdoor alley oops and cuts, probably less than any team in the NBA. I know. No, but nobody like say what you want to about Mason Plumley, and I certainly said plenty of negative things to say about Mason, but Plumley 
was the only one on the team other than Mo Harkless who wants to cut or wanted to cut to the rim and wanted to dunk. Like mm-hmm. Dame would dunk, you know, 10 times a year. But Plumlee, I think he, in his time here, I think he finished the top five in dunks every every year he was here. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've spent a lot of time this summer looking, combing through the alley-oop numbers, trying to figure out who's going to get me my favorite play. <laughs> and Mason used to provide for me, especially the backward ones. Um, Zach Collins is probably Portland's greatest hope for that because, again, I haven't seen a lot from the young man, but I have noticed that he does have a – a natural feel for cutting mm-hmm. and he likes to, he likes to dunk. So he, if you're looking for somebody on Portland, who that guy's going to, who could be that guy, Collins is your best bet. Caleb Swanigan is not that guy. <laughs> as much as I love Caleb, he, while he has more bounce than Zach Randolph, I have more bounce than Zach Randolph. But still, <laughs> Caleb is not that guy. Um, okay. So to re- let's round out the discussion about uh, Turner as, as the backup point guard. I don't know how much of Turner is, is the backup point guard is out of better utilizing Turner right now, as opposed to not using Shabazz because he's injured. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's the thing that I can't get a, a true read on right now. Would we be seeing as much Evan Turner out there dominating the ball as the, as the primary facilitator facilitator and creator, if Shabazz wasn't injured in the preseason, which Shabazz be getting more of these minutes right now. Well, don't you think the lack of Alan Crabb is what's getting a large part of the reason that ET is getting more minutes? I would expect Turner to get more minutes anyways, mm-hmm. but I would expect it. I would have also expected Napier to get some of those minutes to fill in. Um, I, I think Napier has a chance to be a bit more successful. Um, I haven't seen enough of Napier to really get a good grasp on how he's going to be as a catch and shoot player, which is something he's probably going to have to do if, if Turner's going to be that primary ball handler with the second unit. So that'll be different to see how that plays out. Um, but also could Napier or will Napier be the, be the primary facilitator with the second unit with CJ or Damien as a spot up guy, because as we were talking about pre-podcast here when we were discussing kind of how Portland's offense has, has kind of matured and, and changed since last season, Portland's number one go-to play, you know, based on the synergy stats right now, is the spot-up. Mm-hmm. It's not pick and roll. And that's which, different which, from which, last which year? To me, which, oh, God, yes. Okay. Pick and roll ball handler has been Portland's bread and butter since Damian got here. Okay. That that has been where they have that's been the biggest part of their, their, their play scheme um, for a while now. Um, so for them to all of a sudden get into that mindset. Um, and these are the, on the break, everyone's running down and you're spotting up before the other team has a chance to get set. That, that's part of it. And I think that's why the numbers are different. So last year, 18.4% of the time was, where Portland ranked in the spot up as far as where their offense came from nearly 22% of the time is pick and roll ball handler. Okay. So, which is kind of crazy when you, when you start to think about it because they lost arguably their best spot up shooter. In yeah. Alan right. Now CJ is an elite spot up shooter as well. Good Both Lord. These There's guys, like no shot that he can't make right now. <laughs> yeah, We're talking about probably two of the top eight spot up shooters in the NBA. 
as far as catch and shoot goes, CJ and, and Crab, say what you want to about Crab about when he takes and when doesn't take shots. When he takes them from mm-hmm. the spot up, he makes them. Mm-hmm. He's lethal from that spot. And so is CJ. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, as far as Portland's offense goes, it's spot up, then transition, then pick and roll ball handler. Wow, so the pick and roll is now in the third third position most which frequently me, used. And that's hmm. that's what kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with Portland getting more possessions. Those more possessions are coming because they're looking to score in transition. They're looking to score in transition off the spot up before defense can get set. When they lost Alan Crabb, they lost their ability to have gravity in the weak side or in the short corner. So to compensate for that, and this, okay. this is at least my belief right now, is that they're getting out and running to get better opportunities earlier in the clock for Dame and CJ or anybody else who can work in the catch and shoot in the spot up scenarios. Okay, I'm with you on that because when they had time to set up, they had Crab running around and somebody had to be on them because they knew that he was such a good shooter. Exactly. They had to have somebody running running around, which gave them time to get set up. And so now, because we don't have the luxury of someone who's going to, tr- you know, an, an additional person who's going to draw attention, get the shot off faster. And where those spot ups are coming from is different. Okay, where Yusuf, are they coming Yusuf, from? Yusuf Nurkic is now a is now a legit threat, or that's how they're featuring him as a spot up shooter. Oh my gosh, the drive and kick is is turning into, you know, a mid range catch for use of Nurkic or an 18 foot catch for use of Nurkic. Caleb Swanigan is sitting at the three point line. Zach Collins caught and shot from the corner and hit a three. So where these guys are as far as positionally and where they're catching the ball, Myers Leonard, you can say what you want to about him. He catches on the wings and above the, above the break. He does not catch in the corner. If Swanigan or Collins all of a sudden become three point shooters in the corner, that's a, a big time change from at least positionally where these guys are catching and shooting from because that was, those were roles that were typically occupied by Alan Crabb. Dan, you're sounded pretty optimistic to me. It's, it's just very, very different. I was wondering how Terry Stotts and I really, I shouldn't have questioned this because Stotts is incredibly creative with what he's done um, in his time, especially when he's limited in certain scenarios, but I wondered how they were going to compensate for the loss of Alan Crabb. And everybody kind of giggles at that because of how Crabb has been in his time in Portland. He's, he's been, he, he's been more aloof than Nicholas Batum. Um, and that's, I think was saying something. Um, and with Batum, I think you've got a lot more on, on both sides. So there's a, a lot of, of knocks to Crabb for what he did or didn't do, but, there's no denying his effect on opposing defenses. Mm-hmm. You cannot leave Alan Crabb in the corner on a three. You can't leave him at the three point line. Right. He, he was a he, fine shooter. He was a he, very a fine phenomenal. Shooter. I mean, we're, we're talking about the upper echelon top five, three point shooters in the NBA. He's like a Kyle Korver, a JJ Redick, uh, any of these guys that are just absolutely lights out from three. And when you lose that, and the guy that you're putting in his place is Maurice Harkless or Evan Turner mm-hmm. or Al Furcaminu, who are some of the absolute worst three-point shooters in the league at their position. That is a staggering shift. Mm-hmm. So you have to come up with unique and creative ways to compensate for that. Generating more possessions, putting 
positional flexibility out there and putting guys out there in positions at the four, at the five, that can hit those shots. Having those guys develop those shots. Drafting players that could potentially hit those shots is huge. Mm-hmm. You um, know, this when you talk about the the increase in the speed of play, it strikes me that the last few games, and granted it's preseason, they're, you know, not in midseason form, but I've been thinking that they look tired. And I wonder if, and you know, that's just me looking and going, huh, they look tired. But I wonder if they might actually be a little bit fatigued because it is a speed that they're not quite used to running. And of course they'll get better at it, but like, there's a couple things. It takes a lot of concentration. It takes a lot of mental concentration to go that fast too. If it's really a shift. Yeah. You have to get used to playing that fast. Like you, it doesn't matter how much training you do. Like it's going to help, but it's a it's a mindset and it's a it's a physical thing. Like you have to get into that kind of shape, game shape wise, to run like that. And it takes some time. No, part of it could just be the preseason and the different units and the sets not being fully evolved yet. And we could see Portland go back to what they're used to and what they're familiar with. Um, but honestly, I hope that this is something that, that's that's new and different and that's that they stick with. I think it's I think it's good for them. So getting a guy like Evan Turner to get out on the early break and getting him deeper position in the paint or above the free throw line to create or, or get his shots from there um, and sucking the defense down and letting a secondary break for a guy like Caleb Swanigan to, to, to pull up at the three-point line and catch and shoot. Or if CJ's out there or Dame's out there with the second unit, for them to come on the secondary break and catch above the break um, for an uncontested three. Getting those guys better shots in a position that makes them more effective um, earlier in the clock and requires less execution is nothing but good for Portland. So it sounds like you're feeling kind of hopeful too for this team. Am I projecting my own uh, thoughts onto you? Hopeful or in a way you... that they're not, it, it's, this is going to sound awful, but I'm hopeful that they're not going to be as bad as I thought they were going to be. Like, like losing Alan Crabb is. Could you just stop with I'm feeling hopeful? <laughs> as much as losing the counting stats hurts, you're, you're, I believe it was Zach Lowe put it out there um, earlier today talking about how they're, they're, they're running an offense basically with two non shooters on the floor at all times and how antiquated that is. And it is. Like Portland, we've talked about this before. Portland had the market cornered on three point shooting a few years ago. Like their entire lineup, save Robin Lopez, was was a forty percent three point shooter. Like it was absolutely insane when you look at it. You had Dame, CJ, Crab, Batum, Matthews, um, Will Barton, Aaron Aflalo. I mean, you just go up and down the list of guys that Portland had, and you're like, holy shnikes! Everyone could hit threes. Now you've got Dame, CJ. Full stop. <laughs> Dame. Uh, I mean, Swanigan could be that guy. Could Collins become a semi-reliable three-point shooter? Sure. If Myers Leonard's out there and he's he's got his mind right, um, could he be a threat? Yeah. I still think whether or not you like Myers or not, when he's on the floor, opposing defenses still worry about him. So that's that's a, a viable thing. Nurkic has taken, I think, like four or five 22-and-a-half-foot three-pointers or two-pointers. Um, he's inching he, his way back out there. Yeah, he needs to get his damn foot behind the line. <laughs> he's He's got Darrell Wright disease right now. Uh-huh. For, if you're going to be that deep, just take the step back and understand where you are on the floor. And I think that'll come with time. But 
there, there, there is some hope that they're going to integrate some wrinkles into the offense. And that the, the inverse has been true. Um, this is what something that, that goes flies counterintuitive as far as analytics go. They've also gotten Dame, CJ, Nurkic, Turner, pretty much everybody who loves that shot, McCollum, um, particularly, a ton of shots in the mid-range off mm-hmm. of completely new sets. And I think part of that is to make the defense honor parts of the floor they wouldn't normally honor to free up the paint and to free up the three-point line for Dame and CJ in particular. Okay. So there, there are a lot of things going on right now that are brand new and new wrinkles and, and, and new flow to the offense beyond just playing faster. Well, there's a, there's a lot to watch for, and I'm really anxious now to go out yeah. there and look at Turner playing point guard from the post because I hadn't ever thought about it, um, him playing point guard from a completely different place than, than Damian plays it. So you've given me lots to uh, want to go look at, and the game is starting not long from now. So we should wrap this up. Do you want to take us out of here? to count down here until we get to see him play the, the Kangs. So... Uh... Yeah, you know, as always, everything uh, could be completely wrong that we talked about today. We might yeah. never ever see any of it again because it was all preseason it was, anomaly. It was all preseason. They just scrapped it. Screw it. We're not sticking with it. Um, you know, first of all, I do want to think so some of the stuff that we talked about today is, is are things that we facilitated um, from Twitter um, earlier uh, this week. Uh, Ty Forshee, I, I wanted to say I, we didn't get a chance to get to your question. You asked about the Blazers sagging off three point shooters, one pass away. Um, that's uh, one we're, we're kind of go. We'll go into more when we talk about the Blazers' defense. Yeah. Next week, um, Brandon McIntyre asked about uh, Myers Leonard and what whether or not you know he, the potential um, that he's shown, uh, it, or is it you know kind of how it figures out and and who gets the final roster spot. Um, those are all things we're going to touch on next week. But we got everything else that we talked about today um, were, were a part of the discussion uh, that I that I had at least potentially or specifically I should say um, as far as what the Blazers have done uh, offensively and, and kind of evolved from the podcast last week. So what I'm saying is keep those questions coming Yes, because they, they give us a lot of, we have a ton of stuff to talk about in general, but if people are asking more specific or particular questions, we can address those as we kind of go along in the grander scheme of things, as well as work them in. Um, and don't you two guys in particular, don't think we're overlooking you. I've got those here. We're going to get to them when we get to those topics. Um, so yes, uh, at D Morang, you can hit my DMS, um, or you can hit me up on Twitter. Um, you can send them to the, the Blazers Edge Twitter handle. You can ask them there because they'll they'll undoubtedly find their way to us. Um, Tara, you want to let them know where they can find you? Yes, I am at TCB Biggs. I feel like I am not cool enough to say anything about DMs because I just feel like that's for like you know a generation after mine. So you can definitely find me on Twitter though at TCB Biggs. Excellent. Uh, as always, you can find us on iTunes on Stitcher anywhere else for your podcast needs all at almightyballer.com. Um, make sure you subscribe, make sure you like follow us on Twitter, follow the blazers edge on Twitter, follow Tara on Twitter, follow everybody on Twitter. Cause that's where <laughs> we're, we're also on Instagram. Um, as always, I'm Dan Morang for Tara Bowen Biggs. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week. Okay, I can't wait to go watch the game now.
Thank you.